Good evening. Greet you all in Jesus' name again this evening. It's a blessing to be together. It's hard to believe that it's the final night of the of the week of revivals. Um, Monday night it looked like a pretty long, pretty long week ahead. Never preached this many messages in a row, but God has been faithful, and here we are at Sunday night. Special blessing to have some of my brothers from Sharon congregation here, Brother James and Brother Shannon, thank you for coming. It's a blessing to feel the support, support of our brothers and sisters. So I'd just like to take this time to thank you as a congregation. We came as strangers to most of you, and I feel like we're leaving as friends. And it's just such a blessing to have that um, love, the brotherly love shared and the, yeah, just the opportunity to learn to know you all has been a real blessing. Um, Spend time in the homes of some of you and just conversation and yeah, just learning to know you has been a real blessing. And I want to thank you for receiving us showing us love and continue to do that, continue being a warm congregation. It's just always amazes me how we, if you think about cultures, we often think about cultures going to another country, but yet churches have a culture. And I want to say the culture here, keep it up, continue to love, receive, accept, um, it's the culture that Christ wants of us. So, And yeah, just for all of you, for the meals, the prayers, um, I told the story about being stuck on the boat and starting to calculate how many crackers I had in my backpack. I didn't, hadn't mentioned that part, but I was thinking about that, you know, how much food I have. I believe if I'd be stuck on a boat now, I could go about a week before I'd really have to worry too much about food. You all fed me so well while I was here. But... Um, So one thing I realized, I thought about it Monday night. So Monday I was slightly nervous coming here, preaching for the first time, getting into a whole week, and I introduced myself, and I thought about when I crawled into bed Monday night that I never said what my current occupation is. A number of you have asked me, and just so you don't think that we moved back from Haiti and now I sit on my hands all day, I do actually do something Um, besides coming here to preach. Um, So when we left Haiti, I did stay involved part-time with the SALT program there. Um, We no longer have any American staff living there. It's all run by by our Haitian brothers. Um, But I'm still involved with some administration and accounting work with that. And First moved back, I started working as a mechanic again, and then was asked to work as administrator in the Lantern Books. Um, A lot of you would be familiar with Choice Books down in this area. Lantern Books is in Pennsylvania, the same type of, um, same type of organization to get Christian literature out uh, to, to people, make it available to people. So we have book racks in quite a few stores, Pennsylvania, New York, and Ohio. and I fill the role of administrator, work in the office, in the warehouse, a little bit of everything there. So, uh, so that's what I do. Um, 
And also, I was thinking I should give a little bit of a history of the song that we've been singing. Uh, Shannon mentioned that y'all are probably wondering how how he missed how he missed that one, being who wrote it. Um, but <laughs> um, I don't know if you saw that or not, Shannon. <laughs> um, I will say you. The, 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 it was shared as a poem. I'm not sure if you were there that morning or not, but I never actually shared it as a song yet at, at Sharon. So anyway, so the history of, of this song, it was in the form of a poem for many years, and it means a lot to me, and the, the time of my life that it, re- or the times of my life that it represents is very, very dear to my heart. Um, so the first two verses were written at our commissioning service in June of 2016 um, when we were at church, sitting there waiting, yeah, sitting there in the service, and my, my mind was wondering, and these words came to me as I was sitting there in church. Uh, this was just, just weeks prior to our move to Haiti. And then the last verse in the chorus, which in the poem form would have been the last two verses of the poem, um, those were written at the time of our ordination. So it was, again, both of these times were times when I had to come to a place of complete surrender. And it was at these times when the the Spirit spoke these words to me. and just a disclaimer on the song, I did write the words, came up with the melody, but the actual harmony arranging the music was done by somebody else, send it to someone to do that. So don't ask me to arrange a song for you. I have, do not have that experience. Um, so anyway, that, that's the story behind the, behind the song. As I was thinking about the song, and the time that that represented, I look back at my notes of my testimony that I shared at our commissioning service, and just brought back many memories. I'm just going to share those as as I shared them that day. There have been times over the past weeks, again, this is now... <clears throat> I guess going on seven years ago that this was written, there have been times over the past weeks when we were feeling overwhelmed or discouraged and something would happen to lift us up. Words of encouragement, a text message or card. I'll share one happening. About two weeks ago, I was driving by myself and feeling somewhat overwhelmed with the future responsibilities, the move, the changes. Feeling like I wasn't qualified or equipped for the job. Then the song came on my stereo, the touch of the master's hand. Most of you may have heard the song already, and I didn't take time to copy the words. But it's about an auction. The last thing to come on the block was a dusty and worn old violin. The auctioneer called for one dollar, he'll give me two. Two dollars, he'll give me three. He wasn't getting any bids. Then from the back of the crowd came an old man. He walked to the front, picked up the violin, dusted it off, and tightened up the strings. Then he played a beautiful melody. 
The auctioneer was silent. Then he said, $1,000, he'll give me two. $2,000, he'll give me three. The crowd wondered what made the difference. The auctioneer answered, it was the touch of the master's hand. So this song spoke to me at that time and helped me to realize it's not about me. It's not about who I am. It's not about what I can do. It's not even about what I think I can do or I think I can't do. Rather, it's allowing the master to use me. It's a touch of his hand. So after ordination to the ministry, I sensed that in many ways I was back in the same place that I had been five years prior going to Haiti. Once again, we were being called by God to move to another country and answer his call to ministry. Once again, feeling like I wasn't ready. I'm too young. I'm not equipped for the job. We love where we're currently serving. And God, can't you see the amount of work that's still needed where we are? There must be some mistake. And in the months that followed our ordination, we went back to Haiti for another six months. And we went through some very difficult or some very trying times in those months. So we... We flew back to Haiti several days after our ordination and landed in Port-au-Prince and went to drive out to our, to our house. We got to the southern exit where the National Road exits Port-au-Prince in the south and traffic was stopped. So one thing you learn in Haiti is you don't go where other people are not going. So I stopped and asked asked other drivers what's going on. This oh, there's gangs fighting in Matissa, the town we need to drive through. Um, there's really only one road that you can exit in southern Haiti without going up through the mountains. And um, So we sat there and we waited and sat there for an hour or two and it, traffic wasn't going, so we, it was heading towards time to get getting dark we don't want to be sitting in downtown when it gets dark, so we turned around and went to the other side of town, stayed at another mission for the night, and we left. Five o'clock the next morning, we left and made it out of town safely. That same morning, the also under Gospel to Haiti, where we were serving, there was the Eyelid Clinic, and there the administration administrative couple was leaving for furlough. So they, we basically met them. They were coming in. We were going out. So they, there was a couple came down to fill in for them for a month. And they dropped them at the airport. They went and slept the same mission we had slept the night before. And they did the same thing we did the next morning. They left at 5 o'clock in the morning. And on their way out of Port-au-Prince that morning, it wasn't good came upon a roadblock and ended up being shot at by some gang members. The one bullet came through the door, hit the steering wheel, the bullet split, and half the bullet lodged in the chest of the driver, the man that had come down to fill in for a month. Um, 
So thankfully, he was not seriously injured. It was just under the skin, basically shrapnel, and he was fine. But obviously, the mental trauma of that was, was overwhelming. Um, so that was the last time that we drove through Matisan. And I, I told, my, told Marita that it's like I had already felt a little bit like Jonah jumping on an airplane three or four days after we were ordained. And just imagine if I would have gotten shot yet, too. It would have really started to look suspicious. But anyway, so that, that was kind of the start of, of a, a roller coaster. One month later, when Trent and Erica Hostetler were flying back in, this was the couple that was leaving on furlough when this started. One, one month later, they were flying back in. And because of the shooting a month prior, they took a charter flight to come out to the south. And the family and some of the group went in the first airplane. Trent, the husband, and his friend John waited for another airplane. And that airplane crashed on its way to Jacknell. Everyone in the airplane was killed. So it was a very, very tough time the week following the accident, being with Erica as she received the news, being part of the group that told her that her husband had died. And then, so that happened Friday, Friday afternoon. It was Saturday until the bodies were recovered out of the rugged mountains. Um... I was involved with the repatriation process for the bodies, and things seemed to be moving forward. Tuesday, Erica, we were able to fly Erica, get Erica flown to Port-au-Prince and her children in a helicopter, waiting on the last signature on the certificate to get approval from the U.S. Embassy. Wake up Wednesday morning to my phone ringing, don't go out. Stay in your house. The president, President Jovelin Moise, has been shot, and we don't know what's going to happen. Um, so, again, much uncertainty, major delays. A couple months later, there was an earthquake in southern Haiti and involved with the relief process and that, searching in collapsed concrete buildings, so you're beginning to get the picture of the those those couple of, those few months were were very a lot was happening and it seemed like our prayers for God to increase our faith you know we needed faith that God did want us to leave Haiti and it seemed like in response to our requests to increase our faith was answered with circumstances that stretched our faith like never before. And following the plane accident, God opened doors for Marita and I to minister to others, to minister to many different people that were affected. The widow, the children, the youth that were serving at the mission. And... As we endeavored to minister, I realized that God was speaking to us through this time. 
as I said the words, God never makes mistakes, I had to ask myself, do I believe that? God never has a plan B. Everything that happens is God's plan A. And then at Trent's funeral, we heard a song, we don't need to understand to hold God's hand. And I needed these reminders to let everything in God's hand and to remember that it doesn't matter if I am a dusty old violin, it's the touch of his hand. I need to let everything in God's hand. All he asks is for me to be willing, willing to serve whenever, wherever, and however. And I believe that God called us to Haiti, gave us a passion for missions, gave me a passion for missions. I believe he called us back to the United States to preach his word here, to serve here. But in calling me back, he did not change that passion. That passion that I have for missions, if anything, it's gotten stronger. So I believe that God has called me back to preach his word. He has called me back to pass on that passion for missions that I have to others, if possible. My desire is to fulfill this to the best of my ability. So I'd like to somehow pass on this desire of going to all nations to each of you that's here. So earlier this week, we looked at the thought that we as men were created to glorify God. And also the greatest need of man is repentance and a personal relationship with Christ. And as I was thinking about that, I believe our greatest responsibility as Christians is fulfilling the Great Commission. And that's what I'd like to look at this evening. The Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28. Our greatest responsibility. Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So why do I say this is man's greatest responsibility? If you look at when Jesus gave this command, just think about going on a trip. If you're leaving somebody in charge of a business or in charge of your farm, when you leave, you always think of some, something that's important that you want them to remember while you're gone. Don't forget to do this, whatever that may be. And in Acts, if you look at Acts chapter 1, so what is our mission? Our mission is to go and teach all nations. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, right before Jesus ascended into heaven. He said but in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. <clears throat> 
Jesus' final words to his disciples. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was their home. We're to be witnesses of Christ in our home. Our families, our church family, our home community. Sometimes we think of the Great Commission as being, the Great Commission is only to go to the foreign nations. No, the Great Commission starts in Jerusalem, right here. But it doesn't stop there. He says, and in all Judea, our neighboring towns, our neighboring communities, Judea was next to Jerusalem. Doesn't stop there. He says, and Samaria, for us, that's North America. The Great Commission isn't here, just here, not just out here. It's all North America. But it doesn't stop there either. He says, and, and unto the uttermost part of the earth, the entire world. He goes on to say, back to Matthew chapter 28 again, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Baptism is given after someone has received Christ as their Savior. Is born again as we studied earlier this week. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. I believe when we neglect this part of the Great Commission, and that is sometimes the part that is neglected, to go out and to save people. They're born again. Hallelujah. How many people were saved? But we, some people forget that part of the Great Commission is to teach them to observe all things. Everything that is written here. Second Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, and that the man and God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Never forget that all things includes teaching them the very thing that we're trying to do, the very thing that we're fulfilling, and that is for them to witness to others and to teach others. The example of multiplication, I don't know if you've ever heard that example or not, but if I would just pick one person in this room, and if that person, or if this is, I would, I would pick two people. Why don't we just go ahead and do that? Wake everybody up a little bit. So I'm going to pick two people, and each of those people are going to pick two people to stand up. So I'm going to ask you to stand up. You pick two more people to stand up, and continue on with that. Everybody that's asked to stand up, they need to ask two more people to stand up. Let's see how quickly we can everybody standing in the room. So I'm going to pick Brother Alice and Sister Judah. I don't know if you caught it walking in or not, but you're supposed to pick two people and they stand up and see how quickly that happens. Go ahead and stand up. You don't have to, you're holding right. And if you're holding children and can't stand, that's fine. 
All right, thank you. You may all be seated. So the point I'm trying to make is, if we go and make disciples, we can only do so much. But if those disciples go and make more disciples, and those disciples make more disciples, it would have taken me a long time just to go around and one person at a time ask them to stand up. But because of multiplication, God can work wonders. This command, this commission, given by Christ directly to his disciples is a command for us today. If I'm a disciple of Christ, then this is my assignment. This is my responsibility. We may not all be called to the uttermost parts of the world, but I believe that every one of us should be willing to go. No matter where I am, I'm called to be actively involved in fulfilling this work. Remembering that working right here is part of this command. So how do we do it? We start right here and now. Jesus didn't just tell his disciples to tell people about him, but he said to teach them to obey everything I commanded you. And I think sometimes that's one of the things that we miss, the thing of teaching them to obey all that I commanded you, the thing of teaching a new disciple to teach others. Sometimes we feel, as a new Christian, we're too young, we're too mature, we don't know enough, but I believe that as a Christian, automatically we are called. We might not know everything, but we are called to tell others. We're called to confess the name of Jesus to others. And what better way to do this than to tell unbelievers what he has done? If we're going to teach people to be disciples, we need to teach them to witness. We need to teach them to be fishers, fishermen. Teach them how to fish. And if this command to witness is for all Christians, if it's for me, what am I going to do about it? As I was studying this topic again, I had to ask myself, when was the last time I witnessed to somebody? Someone once asked the question this way, if you were given $1,000 for every person you witnessed to, would it make a difference on how often you share Christ? If you had an automatic deposit of $1,000 into your checking account for every time you witnessed to somebody, would it make a difference how often you share? And if it would, then you would do for money what you're not willing to do for Christ. That was a sobering thought to me. Because as an American with a somewhat capitalistic viewpoint, $1,000 come in pretty handy, especially if you could just keep it coming that way. Some witnessing reminders, and these came from Brother Alan Roth in New York City. I don't know if any of you would know him. If you ain't fishing, you ain't follering. And people will not be saved by watching us. They must hear the gospel. The gospel must be verbalized. The, an example, a witness, just thinking of a courtroom setting, 
A witness that is called to the stand to testify about something that he saw. He cannot just stand there quietly and expect the judge to understand what happened or what he witnessed. He must talk about what he has seen. He has to talk about what he has heard in order for a verdict to be made. There's times people will approach us and ask. But if we look at the life of Jesus, he was the initiator in many conversations. Yes, people came to him and asked, but he also went to people. Prepare to go wherever God calls. I believe that Christ's church should always be preparing missionaries. And as I said before, the Great Commission is for right here. But it also includes sending. It also includes going. We do this through teaching and preaching, growing in the Word. And I believe every one of us as a disciple of Christ is a missionary. We should be preparing our lives in that way. Sometimes I wonder... So I believe the work of a missionary is a great responsibility. It was a responsibility given directly from Christ. But I believe it's a responsibility given to the church to send missionaries. And it's also, I believe, one of the hardest responsibilities that is given. Do we as a church approach this responsibility with enough seriousness, or do we at times take it too lightly? We have a process for choosing leaders in our church. And there's a reason for that. It's based on biblical teaching. We find how the early church chose their leaders. We find the, not requirements, but the, What's the term? What a leader should be. The Anyway, term slipped my mind. But if you look in Timothy, you can see what, what a... Not the standards either. Someone help me. Qualifications. Thank you. The qualifications for a, for a church leader. But don't some of these same principles apply to our missionaries that we send out? Especially if they're being sent to preach in another country. To lead in a church. And I ask, would ordinations be out of place for the mission field, for sending people on the mission field, going through the same type of qualifications? In the business world, We prepare people to fill a role. We don't take our car to the plumber to get fixed. We find someone that has experience, find someone that is qualified to do it. And I believe we should approach missions in the same way, that we prepare ourselves, prepare our missionaries And there's a great need for missionaries of all ages. I just recently was at a mission conference, and I heard from several different mission organizations that 
For them, the greatest need is older couples to go along with their teams that they're sending. And for you older ones that are here in our churches, we have a number of older folks that share, and it's just such a blessing, the stability that they bring to the church. And that same stability is needed on the mission field. There's a need for young families to go on the mission field. Sometimes we feel like we have young children going and serving isn't for me. We're just not at a place that that's possible. But I'm here to say differently. Our children are such a blessing on the mission field. They open up doors to witness. There's people that would never want to talk to me by myself, but if I had my children with me, they just wanted to talk. I see a great need for more preparation, especially for our foreign missionaries. We're all missionaries. We're called to serve. We're here in the church. We're learning to be missionaries. But when you go into another country, another culture, I do believe we, we, could, we would do well to put more energy into preparation. Too many times I've seen people excited to go. They're passionate about the work ahead, but the end of their but by the end of their term, they're burned out and struggling with many things, whether it's interpersonal relationships from the field, the people they went to help, struggles there, the mission board, whatever it is, just the culture, all everything that goes with that. And it, it makes me sad when I see that happening because the needs are so great. And why does that happen? Why do we see these things occurring repeatedly again and again? And maybe you all don't see that happening here. But I ask, are we preparing our people for the work we're sending them to do? So there's mistakes and cultural blunders that we as Americans make when we go into another culture. So the preparation is not only for us. It's not only so that we can be prepared, but it's also for the people that we're going to serve. When we're new and we lack experience, when I was new and lacked experience, I, looking back, it humbles me to think how many mistakes I made, how many people I hurt because I didn't know. And some of these mistakes are detrimental to the very people we're going to help. And I'm not saying this to discourage, but rather to encourage to learn. Encourage to learn about cultures, to learn how we should relate to other cultures, other people. Teaching and training does not replace experience. Experience is still the best teacher. But I believe teaching and training can drastically re reduce the damage that we're sometimes guilty of. I think it can also help to reduce the burnout that can be experienced for us as missionaries. We're all called to be missionaries. We all have a work right now, right where we are. And I believe that as a disciple of Christ, we should all be preparing, all should be learning how to be better missionaries. Even if you're never called to go yourself, learn about what it's like to serve. Because 
just for myself, coming back to the United States, the people that I can relate to the best are the ones that understand what it's like to be there. So if you want to support the missionaries that you send, try to learn. Even if you can't go yourself, try to learn as much as you can. Because the more you know, the more you understand, the more support you'll be able to give to the people that you send. It will help you if you ever visit a country, visit a missionary somewhere. It'll help you to relate to missionaries that are serving. If you ever serve on a mission board, the more you know, the more it helps. And it also helps us in relating to the cultures around us. There's other cultures all throughout the United States. And the more we understand about how to relate to them as Christians, as missionaries, will be a benefit to us and to them and most of all, to the kingdom of Christ. So I would recommend this for everyone to learn, and especially these following points, for everyone, but especially if you have an interest in missions, if you sense God calling you to someday, maybe someday, he will call you to the mission field. A few things advice for you again it's for everyone and doubly important if you believe that god could call you someday learn everything you can now attend mission conferences visit with and learn from missionaries whether in their country whether when they're back here whatever especially those that have years of experience those that are committed for a lifetime I've always been blessed when I have the opportunity to visit with a missionary that has committed their life to serving Christ on the mission field. They have a different perspective. They do not have a term in mind. It's their life. Ask them for book recommendations. And I would probably have a list if you would want it. Um... Learn everything you can about the long-term effects that our decisions make, that our small decisions make on the lives, or or that our small decisions have on the lives of the people we're serving, especially in developing countries. Learn all that you can about poverty and how to discern between critical poverty and chronic poverty. I could probably spend all evening just talking about that. There's a difference. We're called to give. That's right. Poverty is not just lack of money or lack of things. Learn about the long-term effects of aid. How that affects people. Learn about the effects of the American God culture, as I'll call it. Also sometimes referred to as the white savior. I just want to, I don't want to just throw these terms out there, but what that is is if I go into a country and I see the needs, and I instantly, from my American perspective, I see if we do this and this and this, it's going to fix it for everybody. And I begin to do those things and begin to help people do mighty things for people so and people begin to look up to me 
If we just come in there and do the things, we take the place of God. We take the view away from God. And again, there's, there's so, it's so much deeper than that, but just learn about things like this. And when I go, how should I go? Go as a learner. Learn the culture. Learn the language. Learn to know the people. Well. A lot of times we think, we go on the mission field, I'm going to help people. I'm going to fix the problems. But I think, at times we're foolish to think that I can, or I should say I'm foolish to think that I can give advice on how to do something different if I don't even understand why they're doing it the way they are currently. We need to learn before we can fix. Ask questions. Another thing I just, I just learned recently, and I did not do this well, Allow yourself to become indebted to them. And I think even without knowing, and I did do some of this with my best friends. And this is something you can only do after you have built relationships. But we as Americans, we, we don't, the problem is we don't need them when we're there. Because we have enough money to do whatever we want. We can go wherever we want. But I heard recently heard a story about a, about a man that was serving in another country. And someone else came to visit that country. And the, he was trying to learn what, what makes a good missionary. And these, these people in this country were saying that this is what, who they view as a true missionary. And he kept asking, trying to figure out why did they view him as a true missionary? And nobody really, he never really got any clear answer. Finally, he was talking to one older gentleman. And he said, why, I must know, why do you view this man as a true missionary, as a true friend? And he said, because that man needed us. He said, when his dad died, he didn't have enough money for the funeral. He borrowed the money from us to go and bury his father. He needed us. We can't go knowing everything. We must learn. Many times we have access to resources to make big changes very quickly. But we must allow God to work in his way, in his timing. Live as an example of Christ. Be a true Christian. Don't try to be God. I'm going to throw this one out there. I, and it's probably, maybe just my opinion, but I believe that we as Anabaptists in some ways have strayed away from what being a missionary is. And we've limited being a missionary to serving for a time, for a term. And is that really 
what being a missionary is. Where we go, we serve our two years or three years. For us, we were only there for five years. Was that, are we called to just go for a time and then we're done? I believe if God calls me to go somewhere, I must stay until he calls me to go somewhere else. It's not for a set amount of years. We're missionaries for life, each and every one of us. If you've accepted Christ, you're a missionary for life. The question is, where does God want me to be a missionary? Is it here in Harrisonburg, Virginia? Is it in Pennsylvania? Is it in Texas? Is it in Guatemala? Is it in Ghana? Where does God want me to be a missionary? We can have excuses. I have too many responsibilities. The sacrifice would be too great. I'm not qualified. I mentioned earlier about with the age of our children, it's not going to work. But I believe if God calls us to it, he will also carry us through. And there's, as I thought about the thing about when to serve, now's not a good time. I've come to the conclusion that there's never the perfect time from our perspective to go and serve. There's never a good time, so to speak. When I'm a youth, I may feel like I don't have the experience. I'm not mature enough to go and serve God in a foreign mission, in a foreign land. When I'm newly married, young children may feel our children are too young. We're too busy caring for our family to go somewhere else. When our children are a little older, we don't want to uproot them from, where, from being with their friends where they are now. It can be detrimental to their growing experience. When our children are married and gone, we have our grandchildren. We need to be with our grandchildren. We need to be there for our children as they raise their families. And by the time that's over, we just don't got what it takes anymore. So there's never a good time. But now. Right now, when God calls me, wherever he wants me to be, is now. Turn with me to Mark chapter 8. So I had a little bit of a problem this afternoon. I had told, told Marita that if we don't leave soon, when we were down at the fellowship meal here, I said, if we don't leave soon, I'm afraid we're going to need to find someone else to preach because I'm not prepared for tonight yet. And then when I finished preparing for tonight, I had another problem. I had so much to talk about, I wasn't sure how I'll get it all done tonight. So hopefully we're done before, before you all are ready to sleep. Um, Mark chapter 8, verse 34 And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he saith unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? 
Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Verse 34. Whosoever will come after me. If you have a desire to follow Christ, to follow him, if you're willing to be his disciples, we're included in this, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. Renounce self-dependence, selfish pursuits. What I want to do to deny that. It's no longer about what I want for my life. It's no longer about what I want to do. But instead, it's God's will for my life. What does God want me to do and where does God want me to do it? And take up his cross. We could spend a lot of time on taking up his cross and what that entails. But what we're looking at tonight is I believe this is to embrace the condition where God places us. Where God is calling us to accept that. To take the troubles and difficulties that will come with the Christian life. To be willing to suffer physically for Christ in the same way that he was willing to suffer for us on the cross. We looked at, at these thoughts this morning in our communion service. And then he says, and follow me. What does it mean when Jesus says, follow me? I believe it means to imitate Christ. To do what he did. Become like Christ in all areas of life. Then in verses 35 to 38, If I decide to keep my self-dependence, if I decide that I want to do what I want to do, or in Jesus' words, to save my life, in the end I will lose my life. It's an exchange. As we look at this, we're looking at an exchange. If I decide to save my life now, while I'm here on earth, I want to do my thing I'm taking it, I'm keeping it, it's under my control. In the end, I will lose my life. But if I'm willing to give up my will, if I'm willing to give up what I want to do for the sake of Christ, or lose my life, as Jesus says, I'm willing to lose my life by giving it up to Him for the sake of Christ, my life will be saved. What do I have if I would have everything in the world but lose my soul? At the end of life, these things have absolutely no value. What will I give in exchange for my soul? When we view life with an eternal perspective, when I view the things that I want to do from an eternal perspective, all of a sudden it changes things. Thinking back to, I mentioned about my younger brother being killed in a motorcycle accident. So Marita and I, we always, since we've been married, we've always done our banking together. We sit down and do our banking together. And the night before, 
Well, actually, the night of my brother's accident, we found it out the following morning. The night before, we had been going over, we did our banking, and then we were going over some goals, some things we'd like to do at the house, start saving up for a vehicle, all these kinds of things, these dreams we had, these things we wanted to buy. And the next day, all of a sudden, those plans we talked about, those ideas we had of what we'd like to do, all of a sudden, I didn't even care anything about them. Suddenly, the only thing that mattered was my relationship with Christ, my relationship with my family, and their relationship with Christ. That was the only thing that I cared about. My brother had a nice new truck. He'd only had it for a couple of months. When he got it, I thought, wow, I'd like a truck like that. But do you know what? That Friday morning, I had no desire. I didn't even care about that truck. That truck that my brother enjoyed, that he liked, what good was it doing him now? The only thing that mattered was whether or not he was ready to meet his maker. Ashamed of Christ, ashamed of his word, he will be ashamed of me when he comes in glory to take the faithful home. So again, the exchange. Self-dependence in exchange for dependence on Christ and submission to his will. As humans, we naturally, especially as men, we naturally like to be self-dependent. We like to know what the outcome's going to be. We like to know, if I do this, this is what's going to happen. We like to plan ahead. We like to be in control. But yet, I think most of us realize that in the grand scheme of things, we really, the amount of control that we have is almost zero. We have very, very little control over anything that happens. Yes, we have the laws of God that if we follow them, we can expect these results. However, we have no control. But, so I can have self-dependence over here where I am going to try to control what happens. When really we realize we have very, very little control. Or we can go over here. We can give that self-dependence to Christ. We can become fully dependent on Christ. And when I submit my life to Christ, I'm placing my life in His control. I'm placing my life in the hands of the God that controls everything. God that made heaven and earth. He's the one that gives me the breath I'm breathing right now. So I can want to try to control what I know I have very little, no, little control of. Or I can give it to God who has control of everything. Nothing will happen outside of his control. Do you see the exchange? I can exchange my wills and desires. Exchange them for life eternal and glory with Christ. 
exchange the whole world for eternity with Christ. So instead of focusing on what I give up, instead of focusing on it's too hard, instead of focusing on the sacrifices that I'll have to make, let's focus on what we're gaining. When I give up my will, when I give up my desires, I gain so much more. And it brings us to what I'm going to call the current exchange. I believe every time we give up something for the sake of Christ, we will be given something much, much better. It's a promise. And it might not be in a physical, tangible way. It might not be a nice house. It probably won't be. It might not be a nice car. It might not be health and strength. But it's going to be much better than what I give up. I believe the blessing that we receive when we submit our lives to Christ far outweigh anything that we would have if we would try to take control of that and keep control of that. When we were living at the SLM guest house where we first lived and we moved to Haiti, I struggled with something for a while. So we had a lot of guests that would come through the guest house. A lot of visitors coming from the States, going to visit other missions. We lived close to the airport, so a lot of people would stay there. And there were times when people would kindly express their sympathy for us and many times for our children because of the sacrifice we were, we were doing, because of what our children gave up to live in Haiti. And I struggled with this because as I looked around at the people that we were living among, we had so much more than what they had. We were so blessed in comparison to what they had. It seemed like we had given nothing up. I talk, we talked to a fellow missionary couple about this, about sacrifices, about giving up things. And they said, they gave advice. When we make a sacrifice, when we give up something for the sake of Christ, they said, don't view it as giving up or losing something. Instead, view it as exchanging it for something, many times for something oftentimes for something better. When it's God's will, it's always best. For our children, yes, they gave up their friends in Pennsylvania for a time, but they gained new friends. Yes, they gave up being raised with their cousins, with their friends in our church, in our church school. But they gained a broader world view that I believe will help them as they grow. I wouldn't want anything different for my children. 
Rather than being away from home, they had a new home. And my plea is to embrace the exchange. If there's something that you feel that God is asking you to do, and not just going to the mission field, if there's something that God is asking you to give up, that God is asking you to come and do this, don't view it as a sacrifice. Don't view it as giving up something. Instead, view it as an exchange for something better. Because when we give it up for Christ, when we give it to Christ, we will be blessed. Know that the blessing you receive by your decision to follow Christ and submitting to His will for your life will always be greater than the temporary pleasure, the temporary things that we hang on to. Luke 10, verse 2, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus made it very clear the problem is not a lack of harvest, but instead it's a lack of workers in the field. Mark 10, verses 28 to 30. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren, and sisters and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. As I said, I have a passion for foreign missions. I have a passion for people to go. But if we as a church have a true desire to fulfill the Great Commission, I must be willing to go if God calls me. I must also be willing to send if God calls someone else. If he calls my brothers and sisters. And may we as Christ's church be goers and senders. At times, right now, I struggle with being the sender. I just see the needs, I hear the needs. And at times, I just want to go. But right now, I'm called to encourage you to go. So may God be with each of you as you allow him to continue to use you in his kingdom, wherever, whenever, and however he may call you. So I would just like to open it up, an invitation, ask your brother to lead us in a song of invitation. And the invitation is simply, if you feel God calling you to give up something in your life, it may be to the mission field. It may be another sacrifice that he's asking you to make, a responsibility that he's asking you to take on. I just invite you to give it to Christ, to submit your will to his, to accept that exchange of what I want for something that is much better.
What shall we sing?
feel God calling you to turn your will over to him, don't silence the spirit. Don't silence the call. Accept the call. Embrace the call. Shall we sing the last verse? Shall we pray? God, I thank you for your love. Thank you for showing us your will for our lives. God, I just pray that you would help each one of us to accept your will, to be willing to lay down our lives to lay down my will in exchange for your will for my life. God, if there's anyone here this evening that has been pushing back against your will for their life, I just pray that you would continue to work in their hearts. Is anyone here that realizes that, Lord, just help them to accept your will for, your, for their life. If you're here and have, do not have peace, you know you've been fighting against the will of God. Just give it up. Accept God's will. And Lord, just help each of us to become better servants for you, to fulfill the command that you've given to us, the commission you've given to us. And as a church, may we continue to move forward, continue to bring others to you, continue to serve you according to your will. Pray this in Jesus' name. Philippians 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you read that in the New Living Translation, and this is my encouragement to you as a congregation, to each of you as individuals, if you feel God working in your life, if you sense God calling you to submit to his will, I'll read the verse again in the other translation. I am certain that God who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Christ promises that if we allow him to do that good work in my life, if I allow Christ to work, if I give my will to him, that good work that he's begun, it will continue until the day that it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. 
Revival can continue. It will continue if we live our life for Christ. If I submit my will to the will of Christ, revival will continue. May God bless. Turn it over to Brother Jeff. I thank again each of you for your prayers and for your presence here this evening. We sang Accept my talents, great or small. There's a verse in the Bible that says, Do not despise the day of small beginnings. We saw the, the value and the power of that multiplication demonstrated here today, this evening. And how that God's in the multiplying business. A seed, a mustard seed, grows up into a large tree. And Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like that tree. It has branches. It has many aspects to it. And it's a benefit to the fowls of the air. They come and rest and nest in that tree. A beautiful picture of the church. And I think we can get wrapped up in, in such... Um, wonder and love of the kingdom of God, we should. All those um, provisions that God has put into the church, the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, we don't all have the same gift. But I had to think of that song. <clears throat> Let each one be burdened with souls that are lost. We can each carry a burden. We think of reaching the lost as, yes, we want to do that to save their soul. We want to see them come into the kingdom. But there's another dimension to, to our desire to save the lost, and that is the gifts that that person would bring to the body of Christ. Their gifts, their talents, if, if God, the Holy Ghost, could get a hold of that. I just think that sometimes of, of those that do not know God, but they would have a lot to offer for the body of Christ, the church. And so I think there's much incentive to take heed to what we have heard this evening <clears throat> and to press on the upward way. I really want to thank again our brother for so faithfully serving here. And may the Lord richly bless you 30, 60, 100 fold and give you his favor as you travel home. I think this time let's stand for prayer. I'm going to ask Brother Andy to lead our closing prayer this evening. Let's pray. God, thank you again for another opportunity to come before you, to be awed at your holiness to know that you are God, that you are in control of all things. And God, I just thank you for the opportunity that we have to place our lives under your control and to know that everything is under control. Just pray again that you would help us, each one of us, to submit our lives to you, to commit our lives to you, and to be willing to serve you 
in every way that you have asked us to serve you and will ask us to serve you. Just pray for each one that is here this evening. Pray that you would bless and keep each one of the congregation. Lord, I pray that your love would continue to flow among us. Pray that your spirit would continue to work among us. And God, again I'll pray, if anyone here is not have peace with you, I just pray that you would not give them peace until they come to the place where they're ready to surrender their will to yours. And God, again, if anyone here is in need of you, I just pray that they would find someone to talk to, to encourage them to continue on to find you, to find your will for their lives. Now unto him that is able to do us seeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Pressing on the upward way, new.